Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Gallagher Jr. You can find us on Instagram at Only One Shot Golf or email us at Only One Shot Golf at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at GallagherJRGC and on Instagram at GallagherJR. Today I'm excited to have one of my good friends, Glenn Day, one of the more popular players on the PGA Tour Champions Tour. Glenn grew up in Poplarville, Mississippi, and on through college to Ole Miss, Oklahoma, traveled all over the world to play golf before winning in the PGA Tour at the Heritage, and I was actually paired with him the first two days. So really a great story, a fun guy to talk to, and uh, looking for a really fun time with him. He's also having another good year on the PGA Tour Champions, and let's see if we can get Glenn on the, on the line. All right, I've got Glenn Day on the uh, phone. Glenn, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate you calling and asking. This will be well, fun. we've been friends a long time, and you've known my wife since you all were kids. But uh, you grew up in South Mississippi. Uh, who got you started playing this crazy game we play? You know, it, it, uh, it's wild. Uh, before my mother passed away, she had 8-millimeter film of me swinging a golf club when I was 18 months old. Really? And I had a better, I had a better swing then than I did now. But uh, you know, I I just always played, and my grandfather played, and and when I was a kid, I played with him and and his friends, and that's kind of where I got started. So you, your is your putting stroke as good now as it was then? No, it is not as good now. You know, it's amazing the older you get. I don't know the nerves endings just don't quite work the same yeah that's why i'm talking now for a living <laughs> i always talked i just now i get the baby to do it but you had a good you had a uh, we're kind of off my little script here but you had a couple good or a really good week up at uh in missouri just a, a week or so ago and if you made a couple putts i know that's you don't want to hear that but man i've never seen you hit the ball so good as you did uh that first week up there it, it's amazing how how my golf game has flipped since really since I was on tour, um, and I, I couldn't hit the ball anywhere. I could hit it in the fairway. I didn't never hit it very far, but I hit it in the fairway, and I didn't hit very many greens, but I got up and down most every time, chipped in every now and then, and felt like I made every four-footer there was. Now I feel like I hit the ball so good, I have so many chances of making birdies, I don't feel like I ever make a putt. Yeah. So... You know, it's 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 weird. But I hit a lot of good putts in Missouri that didn't go in. It wasn't like I was hitting, you know, as as golfers, you know, when you hit a putt, you know if you hit it good or bad. Mm-hmm. And it may go in, it may not go in. But you also know when you hit one that's just absolutely horrendous, that's got no chance to go right. in. Right. No, you hit, you hit and, good putts. Uh, I, yeah, no question. No, no, no. I, and I hit, I hit a lot of putts that, that – had a lot of chances to go in with. They just didn't. Yeah, and I think that's a good advice for people out there. Sometimes you've got the read, you committed to it, and it just doesn't go in. And I think that's the hardest part yeah. of the game. But did you have an instructor growing up? You know, when when I was growing up, I had a series of three lessons when I was 10 years old from a gentleman which you know very well or knew very well named James Ray mm. Carpenter. Um, and, you know, Mr. Carpenter ended up being the president of the PGA of America and did a lot for the game of golf through his life. He passed some years ago. And the the next lesson I had, I was 21 years old. Wow. So, so it's, I had it's almost like yourself self-taught a little bit too, huh? 
Yeah, pretty much. You know, I, um, I, to be dead honest, you know, Jim, the, from where I grew up and, and the, the opportunities that we had, um, the only way to explain the reason that I'm where I am right now is God just touched me on the shoulder when I was a kid and said, you're going to play God. Mm. That's the only, only explanation. Because I, the only golf course we had, we had, uh, it was about 16 miles away. It was a little nine-hole course. Had two bunkers. You know, that was it. We didn't really have anything. So. Yeah, a lot's changed, and, and, and you've seen that over the years. Of course, you're living in, in Little Rock now, but you're still a big part of Mississippi. But a lot has changed in our state uh, with great golf courses, great instruction, and I think that's we're seeing why we're seeing so many good junior golfers. I mean, you, you talked about growing up. I mean, Allie McDonald's on the LPGA grew up on a nine-hole golf course. Chad Ramey plays Corn Ferry Tour, should get his card. He's also on that same nine-hole golf course. So you see a lot of kids that uh, grow up on not necessarily big country clubs that that when they have a dream they chase it and they're able to get to it but that uh, what what are some of the things you've seen just the improvements over the years just in our state in, in golf courses and instruction it's amazing i mean it just shows how how popular the sport has become um <clears throat> over the years and a lot of that has to do with as you know tiger woods mm-hmm. coming on the scene in the late 90s that really popularized the sport uh, a lot of athletes started getting in the sport. You know, when we grew up, if you were uh, all the big athletes, they didn't want to play golf. They thought that was nerdy. You know, they wanted to do something else. Now you see all these kids wanting to play the game of golf, learning like DJ, uh, you know, Dustin Johnson. Mm-hmm. I mean, what an athlete he is. He could play anything he wanted to and, and probably could have turned pro at, at multiple different sports. Um, but you, you, through that, you get a lot of new teachers. You get a lot of kids that grew up that, let's say, weren't good enough to really play but love the game. Now have become teachers and become really good teachers mm-hmm. um, that are helping the juniors. And then the more, the more you know, fuel you add to the fire, the bigger the fire gets, which is great for our sport. Oh, I agree. I think that's what you're seeing. And you're seeing that. I mean, Gary Woodland, basketball player. I mean, you're right. They're... Not that the the golfers weren't athletes and athletic, they were, no question. But there's just more of them that yeah. played other sports, and, and it's like you said. I mean, it was like playing the piano growing up. You liked to do it. You just didn't want anybody to let you know that you were doing it. And that's what golf was like. Yeah. You know, it was just it wasn't cool. And then Tiger Woods made it cool. And then now it's uh, something everybody loves to do. But you you talked about growing up in South Mississippi, not close to a golf course. What was junior golf like for you? You know, we really didn't have junior golf. Now, where I grew up, you know, 30 miles south of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, there were a about three junior tournaments maybe in Hattiesburg. There really wasn't but about one or two uh, junior tournaments on the coast. Most junior golf, the only real junior golf program was in Jackson, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So I would have to drive two hours. Uh, to Jackson, two and a half. So when I was a kid, I can remember getting up early in the morning, driving up to Jackson, Mississippi, playing a tournament at Live Oak yep. Country Club where Ben Nelson was the, the pro. And I'd play a, a, a golf tournament, I'd play all day, and then I would drive home, play a doubleheader baseball game. And when I got to be about 13, my mother, I can remember my mother saying, 
I don't care which one you pick, but you pick, pick one. one or the yeah. other one because we're not going to be we're not going to be driving up playing golf and then playing doubleheader baseball games and then going to Hattiesburg. That we're not doing that. Today. Yeah, that, and that's so, tough. You see a lot of kids doing it. I like them to play you know multiple sports, but there is a point in your life. Oh yeah, where you kind of have to narrow it down to one a season. Uh, you can play. Oh, you, know, you can play one or two, but it's just because you get burned out. I would think at, at, at all of them, and you you're good at them. You're just not great at them. I don't think you should just kind of boom. I'm only going to do this, but you can wait till you get probably ninth, tenth grade before you decide that. But you uh, you talked about junior golf. You didn't have a lot of opportunities playing, and then the college process, trying to figure out where you go into school. Take us through that process. Well. You know, we had we didn't have a lot of junior golf in Arkansas, and the AJGA was just starting junior golf. I say just starting; it had been going for a little while, but it wasn't anything like it was now. We we could you could call and say, "I want to go play in the tournament." You know, three days before they had the tournament. Mm-hmm. And so, my deal when I was growing up was, if I made half of the amount of money it took to go to a, a golf tournament. Then my mother, my uncle, and my granddad would kick in the other half. So I can remember Chris Hack, who's now the college golf coach at Georgia. Mm-hmm. He was at working for AJGA, and I can remember multiple times calling him on a Wednesday, and they would have a tournament that weekend, and saying, hey, I've made enough money, I'm coming this weekend. And he goes, I got you down, come on. And, and you know, you would play a few of those in the South. I never went anywhere mm-hmm. else. I played 15 of those. And we get to college golf process. It was totally different. Now college golf coaches, are they have their teams two years out or better now. Um, I, my senior year of, of high school, uh, starting my senior year, I called Mr. Carpenter, who I stayed in touch with my, well, my whole mm-hmm. life, really. But And, and I said, uh, I said, Mr. Carpenter, I don't. I want to go to college and play golf. What do I need to do? And he said, "Well, where are you thinking about going?" And I said, "Well, I really don't know. You know, somewhere right around here, close in the south." And he said, "Well, you need to write some letters." So I literally wrote letters. I wrote to Mississippi State, LSU, and Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, "He said you don't need to come to Southern where I am. You need to go somewhere else." I just said, "Yes, sir." And uh, we actually, I actually wrote letters um, to get a response back. Back then, it was it was a lot different than it is now. I guess a few people were recruited, but you had to be, you know, a real superstar. And um, so I, I, I had three different options. Those were my three options to go to college, and and I ended up choosing Ole Miss. Right, you did. What, and you, uh, just to jump back real quick, what did you do to earn the cash to go to those junior tournaments? I meant to ask you that. <laughs> I don't want. Maybe no. I don't want to know. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey, when we when we were kids, we would we would walk up down the street, and knock on the door, and I said, "Hey, my name is Glenn Day. My granddad's Glenda Bass lives right down the road. And if you need anything done around the house or anything, I'd love to help." And I mean, you just did whatever you could. I mean. When the farmers were planting, we would drive to the farm and say, do you need any help? When they were harvesting, you know, we'd say, do you need any help? And they'd go, yeah, come on. And you never asked what you were going to get paid. That was, that was rude. Mm-hmm. You never asked what you were going to get mm-hmm. paid. And and you just did whatever. I mean, 
we hauled hay, we cut hay, we hauled watermelons, we planted watermelons, we hoed watermelons, we mowed yards, we hauled, you know, cut firewood. We did whatever we could do to make a dollar. Right. Well, you know, uh, V.J. Trolio, who you know, the, the instructor up there at Old Waverly, when he wrote the book, Only One yes. Shot, he was a pine cone picker. When I go, what is a pine cone picker? And the pro, in order for him to maybe be able to hit balls or play out there, he'd pay him, I think it was a nickel a pine cone. He needed basically getting him something to do. And VJ would do anything just yep. to have the opportunity and a chance to hit some balls or play. And I mean, he picked up the range. He did all those things. And and when you when you want something, you'll do whatever it takes and, and try to work a bunch of different jobs. And there was a young lady in Mississippi that uh, collected uh, cans and saved money and recycled them. And that's how she played her junior golf through the uh, Mississippi Junior Golf Association. So it's really cool to hear those yeah. stories that they, even today they still kind of exist. But you mentioned going to Ole Miss. What yeah. was that like that first year? You know, the first year I went up there, I, um, I, I actually I hurt my back. We played, I played one, maybe two tournaments in the fall, and, and I hurt my back uh, to the point where I couldn't even put on a pair of blue jeans for like a month. Wow. I, couldn't, I couldn't dress myself. I had my right arm strapped to me, and, and so I redshirted. Um, and... Uh, so it, it was different, and it and it was a little different. When I, I grew up in a little small town, and we grew up about 500 yards from the First Baptist Church, mm-hmm. and when the doors were open, you know, we were at church. Um, and, you know, and when I was growing up in junior golf, and, and all, I, I never played golf on Sunday because we were at church till noon, then you had lunch, and then choir practice was at 4 o'clock, and there wasn't enough time to go play golf. So I didn't never played on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And so now all of a sudden I get to college and, and I'll admit, you know, uh, I wasn't under mom, mama's thumb and, and, you know, things got, I got, I was testing the waters. Let's mm-hmm. say. Um, I was a great college student and I looked at books every now and then. <laughs> you knew where they were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a plus though. I mean, it is, it's, yeah. it's a big, and that's what we talk about in this podcast. And I, I've even had one where, these are the things that you need to expect. I mean, it's time management. It's you're on your own. You, yeah. I think now though, it's so much different listening and the coaches I've had on there. Cause they get them up at five, five thirty in the morning to work out. They go to class and they're practicing and they're going to, you know, study hall, blah, blah, blah. So they take care of a lot of their time where they don't give them a lot of free time. But when you get in trouble, it's when you have that free time and it's, the, you know, you just got to make the decision what you're going to do with it. But, uh, you know, yeah. and I, like you said, you were hurt too, and I think that probably played a little part of it. Well, don't you think? It, it played a huge part of it. I I was hurt. I had nothing to do. Um, we weren't that structured, and you know, golf in the early '80s in college wasn't a big deal. Uh, now it is a big mm-hmm. deal, and they and the, the the universities actually recognize their golf teams as being a very 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 good ambassador for their school number one and number two uh a great way to raise money and get awareness out for their universities because most of their big donors play the game of golf mm-hmm. so they're interested in it you know back then it was it it wasn't that way and i did i you know i i, I had a red shirt i redshirted that year and i, I got in a fraternity and then I, I i had a great experience i had a, a lot of fun at Ole miss um, we played the next year, 
my it would have been my I guess my sophomore year of school, and and we actually finished fourth at uh, NCAA. Section. Really, we had a great golf team. Yeah, we had a really good team, and uh, so it it was it was a lot of fun. Ole Miss was dear to my heart. And then you transferred to Oklahoma. Well, yes, I transferred to Oklahoma, and that was just a <clears throat> another thing. You know, you can look back on your life, and you can see turning points. You don't see them when you're in the middle of it. Um, it's a really funny story. Uh, I, Ernest Ross was a coach at Ole Miss. I played my second year. We're into my third year and we're right about Christmas. And, you know, you talk about free time mm. and, you know, we didn't, we had coach, we didn't have structured things. You know, you talk about workouts and all, well, we didn't have that. We had card games on Sunday <laughs> night at the tournament house. You know, we played cards all night long and, and coach found out that, I was playing cards all night long, and then Monday morning the house mom would come in, cook us breakfast, we'd eat breakfast, we'd go to bed. And uh, so he decided that he was going to have me run on Monday mornings, thinking I wouldn't go play cards. So I would play cards all night, go run, and then go to bed. Uh, <laughs> so he, he decided that he was going to call me into the athletic director's office. And... Uh, and the athletic director was Warner Offord, yep. and he, he called me into Warner Offord's office. And Mr. Offord was sitting across the table, and he had that really southern draw like a castle. He spoke very plainly. <laughs> and uh, Coach Offord looked across the table at me, and he said, Son, I understand we have a problem with you here at the University of Mississippi. <laughs> and I you know, immediately said, no, sir, we don't have a problem. I play on the golf team. Takes five guys to play on the team. You don't have five guys that can beat me. You said that? Now, just for people that, <laughs> yes, just for people that are listening to this podcast and you're you're trying to help out your juniors and your college kids, that is not the thing to say to an athletic <laughs> race. No. Of, of which I found that out when Coach Offer jumped up across that table and he said, boy, where do you live? And I said, I live in the athletic dorm. He said, that's where you're wrong. That's my dorm. I own that dorm, and you have your ass out in two weeks. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I tell the story. That's when Coach Alford and I came to a mutual agreement. I said, yes, sir. Yes. And uh, and and that was it. That was over. <laughs> and uh, so, I, you know, all of a sudden now I'm – off the golf team because of my own stupidity. Right. Uh, and uh, I didn't play golf. I didn't touch a golf club for 11 months. I never touched a club. Mm. I quit the game. I had 21 hours left to graduate to get my finance degree. I was moving on to something else. And, and uh, Greg Gross, who used to be the golf coach at Lamar University, mm -hmm. uh, happened to be at a wedding in Oxford, Mississippi, during first summer school term, and uh, I ran into him at a restaurant and just saw him, said, hello, how you doing, Glenn? We got to talking, and he said he was the new coach at Oklahoma. And I said, yeah, I don't play golf anymore. And he said, that's stupid. You ought to come to Oklahoma and play for me. And I said, no, not, not going to happen. I got 21 hours to graduate. I'm not doing it. You know, not, he said, look. You, you need to come out and just see this. And he said, now, before I even tell you this, I, we have no scholarship. We have no nothing. 
but I really want you to come play. I want you to come play. And so I said, Greg, I hadn't played golf in 10 months at the time. He said, I'm sure you hadn't forgotten. <laughs> and um, lo and behold, I went out there. I had like a weekend, and I drove all the way out to Oklahoma, and then I came back, and uh, my mother, God rest her soul, she was a, she was a tough woman. And uh, I told my mother, I said, Mother, I got an opportunity to go to Oklahoma and play on the golf team at the University of Oklahoma. And she said, that is wonderful. That is great. Do you think you want to do that? I said, well, I'm really thinking about it. She said, that's great. And I said, well, Mom, what do you think? And she goes, well, she said, uh, I think you're 20 years old. I think you screwed up your opportunity at Ole Miss, and I think I'm not going to give you another dime to go do whatever you want to do. So I love you, and I'm behind you 100%. You, you, you can do whatever you want to do, but I don't even know how you're going to pay for Ole Miss next semester because I'm not doing it. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so I went and talked to my granddad, and, and um, I told Dad the story and told him what Mom said, and, and he goes, well, son, that's called tough love. He said, you know, you got to figure out your own way in life. And he said, you're an adult. You know, whether you make good decisions or bad decisions, they're your decisions. He said, you know, what do you want to do? Well, we didn't have money. We weren't. We, we didn't have mm-hmm. money. We didn't grow. I didn't grow up with money. And my granddad said, I tell you what, son, here's $500. He said, if you want to do it, just take that $500 and you go make your life. I took $500 and got in the car and drove to Oklahoma, packed my car up. And uh, still to this day, I can't tell you how I paid for school. I do remember having student loans that we paid off, but the, the university had to help me get the loans or whatever. I don't know how I did it. I went out there, had two years to play golf, and I, I played two years of college golf. That is amazing. Now, see, I never knew all that, and I've known you forever. I didn't know how that all went down. I never yeah. did ask you. Now, that leads into you decided to turn pro and you go to Asia. Did all the, I mean, you you found a way to do those things and pay for that. What was that like going all the way up, uh, out of the country to even play golf? You know, we had we had some really really good golf teams at at Oklahoma. We finished second the two years I played there, and a lot of good players. Um, and I graduated with, uh, uh, when I got out, there was another guy, Trip Davis, who's a very, very good golf architect now. Um, and Trip was, he said, uh, hey, what are you doing next week? And I said, well, I don't know. I graduated college, and all of a sudden I woke up one morning and I thought, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I never really had a path that said I was going to be a professional golfer. Really? Okay. It never, it never really crossed my mind that I was going to play golf for a living. This was just something I did. And uh, Tripp said, I'm going to go play in a golf tournament. And I said, can you make any money? And he goes, yeah, you turn professional, you play, you can make money. And I'm sitting around going, I have no idea what I'm going to do, and I'm, I don't have any money. So we started playing the mini tours. Okay. You know, that's kind of how I turned pro. And... Uh, Back in the Asia days, back then, they allowed up to 30 people. I think it was 30. It may have been 25. uh, People from one country to play the Asian tour. The guy that ran the tour was a guy by the name of John Bennett. And he was from the United States. And you had to basically send a resume 
to John, and he chose the 25 guys that could go to Asia. And the Asian tour back then, uh, the the web.com or Corn Ferry now, um, it didn't exist. It, it, it wasn't started yet. And Asia was, let's see, we're in March. I want to say like the end of March, it was three months. It was 12, 11 or 12 tournaments in a row. And so you paid your money. Everybody said, well, how hard was it traveling in Asia? It was really simple because it was like being on a tour package. Mm -hmm. You paid a lump sum of money, and everywhere you went, they you, you went as a group. Here's your ticket. The older guys, the guys that have done it before, they kind of, led the younger guys around like little, you know, ducklings running around. And we just sat there on the airport and they said, okay, come on, get your stuff, come over here, here's your ticket. And we just went and we played Asia. And then we would come back to the U.S. in the summer and play mini tours, you know, Oklahoma mm -hmm. Open, Arkansas Open, just whatever we could find to play. You know, Brian Clare did the same thing you did, who's now our, the head of the rules out of the Champions Tour, the PGA Tour Champions yeah. Tour. He did that same thing in the Asian Tour and loved it. He won over there. You won in Malaysia, am I correct? He won multiple times okay, over yeah. there. Brian, actually, uh, he won the whole money list. That's right, he did. He was. Year. That's right, he was the money list leader. Yeah, Brian, was, Brian could really yeah. play. You played in Europe some, too, did you not? Play the European Tour some? I played so I, I played one year in Asia and I came back. I went back to Asia and played the next year and I was fortunate enough to win in Malaysia and I finished third on the money list. And that got me exempt to Australia, Canada at the time, and it got me exempt to the finals of the European Tour. Okay. And and also it got 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 me exempt to the Johnny Walker World event. Mm -hmm. That particular year, so I came back to the U.S. I went to Canada. I remember I took my mother up. We played two tournaments in, in British Columbia and Vancouver. I was uh, traveled with Kel Devlin at the yep. time, and I, I finished third and fifth in the first two tournaments. And I, after expenses and everything, I had made like twenty five hundred dollars. And I said. This ain't gonna work. Mm. There's you, you, we can't you can't do this. So I called a friend of mine back in Asia, and I said, "Is there any tournaments in the summer?" He said, "Yeah, there's a whole bunch. You want to play?" And I said, "Can I get in?" And he goes, "Yeah, you won Malaysia. You can play." So I basically flew back to Asia, and lived in Malaysia, a little island off Malaysia for for all of that summer, and played little tournaments there. And it was cheaper for me to go to Europe and play in the finals of the European Tour School than it was to try to go through the U.S. school. Mm. And so I went to, back then you could buy a plane ticket, you could buy a round-the-world plane ticket for a flat seat. Right. And as, as long as you kept going the same direction, you could have as many stops as you wanted. Really? And so I went, uh, I went to Europe, went to the finals of the Tour School, and ended up making it. Went to play the Johnny Walker World in Hong Kong. Went down to Australia and played three tournaments in Australia. And then came back home, and I had my European tour card. And uh, I ended up playing three years in Europe, which was an absolutely fabulous uh, experience. You had to be pinching yourself at this point, thinking, I grew up in Poplarville, Mississippi. I have nothing, and I'm all over the world playing golf. Well, 
you know, when you're in the moment, when you're in the middle of something, you really don't know what's going on. Looking back, that is exactly 100% correct. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in Poplarville, Mississippi, town of 2,000 people. Great place to grow up. I mean, it was like Mayberry. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, <laughs> you know. Nowadays, they get in trouble. You parents get in trouble for spanking your kids. The whole town Spanked. had the authority to whip your yeah. butt. <laughs> That's true. You know, it wasn't just your parents. I mean, the whole town. If you did something really stupid, and the police found you, oh, they weren't. You know, they didn't. They did all they did was say, you know what? I believe I'm gonna take you home. And you said, no, please, just throw me yeah. in jail. I'll be fine in jail. <laughs> Don't take me home. There's a lot you of know, truth to that. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so it was a wonderful place to grow up. And uh, and here I am traveling around. And, you know, I, I, I've been fortunate enough to meet, you know, kings of countries and play golf with presidents. And, and it yeah, it's kind of it's kind of wild from, from where I started. But the journey's not over. You finally get your PGA Tour card. And I've got to take some credit for your win at Harbor Town because you were paired with yours truly the first two rounds. But the first two yeah. rounds and I, and I was three over, I was three over after the first nine holes because we played the back nine. I, I coached I you up. I coached you up. So come on, coached you up. <laughs> I need all the help. I no, get. but that was so cool. And to win on such a, a golf course with all that history and, and that had to be really a cool week for you. And can you take us back through some of those emotions and, and what you remember about that week? You know, it was it was the year before that in '98. I had my best year on tour. Um, I did not win a golf tournament, and I finished uh, 11th on the money list. Um, and I didn't win a tournament. I finished second at the Players Championship. I finished second at Hilton Head that year, um, and I really played good. I had a lot of opportunities to win, and I didn't. Fast forward to 99, I had opportunities to win early that year, Doral especially, and I remember Steve Elkson shot eight under on Sunday, and I shot one under and finished third. Mm. Um, you know, I, I had plenty, a, a lot of chances. So we get to Hilton Head, and I'm not playing that great, I'm playing okay, and, and you played there a number of times. You know that uh, the wind usually blows in the afternoon, mm-hmm. scores are usually higher. And 10 under was a great score, usually around there, back in those days. And uh, it was just one of those weeks where the wind blew. And I really don't – I think I shot six under on Sunday. So I was way back. I finished – when I finished the leaders – when I was playing 16, the leaders were on 10. Mm. And so I think I – I think I parred 16, 17, and 18, and I, I shot 30 on the front nine. Dang. And, you know, I think I, I shot one under on the back nine. And uh, I get in, I, I don't. I think I'm done. Mm-hmm. You know, it's over. Uh, and they said, well, you need to hang around. Clarence Rose had a pro-am, and we were getting ready to go to pro-am, and I said, no, it's not going to We're going to go ahead and go. And they said, no, you need to hang around. And I remember going to the family room, you know, right there off of number 10, that, that building. Mm-hmm. And I laid down on the couch, went to sleep. 
I didn't even watch anything <laughs> because I had I had no idea that I would get that. And close. you had no control over what they were doing either, so you couldn't affect them. No. I figured maybe you were going to say you had a no. beer. Uh. <laughs> no, I actually just laid down and went to sleep. I was laying on the couch and went to sleep, and uh, my phone rang and it was my wife, and she goes, "What are you doing?" <laughs> I go, "What do you mean? I'm just laying here. There's nothing I can do." She goes, "Well, they got you on TV and they're showing you." Stuff. <laughs> I'm like, well, Jennifer, what do you want me to do? I mean, there's nothing I can Wake do. up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I was uh, I was very, very, very fortunate to get the playoff with uh, Jeff Sluman and Payne Stewart. Mm. And uh, uh, Jeff hit it left on 18 and second shot. And uh, uh, Payne hit it about 10 high. Uh, to the right about 20 feet, and I hit it in the middle of the green, and it rolled back about 25, 30 feet. He he may have been a little closer, but I was I was outside, and then, you know it was just one of those things. It wasn't the best putt I ever hit, but it went in, yeah. so it ended up being the best. Putt absolutely, I ever hit. absolutely, be two great players, two major champions. But yeah, I mean we had some we yeah. had some great times. I we're not going to tell the story, but it, Milwaukee Country Club, you were staying there, and it's a very very nice place, and you invited the Gallaghers and reminded me out of a scene out of Caddyshack as they kicked us out because they had a wedding going on. But, you know, that's the thing that made it so much fun is traveling to tour, and, and the families were out there, and we, we met so many great people. But you said you, you played golf with Kings. But one of the neatest relationships you have was with Jack and Barbara Nicholas. How did you become friends with them? Well, it actually started when I was in Europe. And Mr. Nicholas had come over to play in in the British Open. And Gary was over there, and I had known Gary. And I don't think Gary had qualified, but I saw Gary was talking to him. And he was just like, uh, hey, you want to play a practice round with my dad? And I'm sure, you know. And I, <clears throat> the way I was brought up, I tried, I tried to treat everybody equal. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much money you don't have. I don't care if you're digging a ditch are running a Fortune 500 company. You know, I want to be the one that treats everybody equal. And so I played with Mr. Nicholas, and I just treated him just like uh, anybody else I was playing golf with. And through doing that, we just became friends because I've spent a lot of time with him, but nobody really ever treated him the same. Mm -hmm. Everybody treated him differently. You know, and uh, and we play, ended up playing every major that I ever played in, that he played, we played a practice round. Really? That's cool. Uh, and and we just we just became, you know, friends. He's just a he just wanted to be treated like one of the guys. That's what and, I found uh, out when I go to his house. I don't talk about golf. I talk about hunting. Talk about his yeah. grandkids. And I can have his attention for an hour, uh, and yeah. then he'll take me around. And, and and he's just like that. He just wants to be normal, and he is normal. He grew up in the Midwest and all that. But what did you learn in those times? You know, practice rounds and being around Jack. What was one of the biggest things, or a couple of the things you learned from him? You know, I learned that he had the best mind in the game of golf. His mind was was so much better than anybody else. It was. It wasn't even on the same scale. Um, just when we would go out and play uh, I mean, multiple times, but 
just say we're going out to play today. No big deal. We're going out to play. And if he hit a ball, he hit a bad shot, <clears throat> and it rolled off in the weeds or whatever, you know, a lot of times we'll, you know, you and I will just play in a ramble go, I, I want to hit one more. I, you know, that wasn't right. I want to hit one more. He never did that. Mm-hmm. He went, he found that golf ball. I mean, he went, and, and, and when he found that ball, he didn't move it from behind the tree to, you know, hit it up on the green. Now, we're just playing around the golf. I mean, he tipped it out, and then he played on. You know, he his mind was so much better than anybody else. It, it's, it's amazing to get your mind in that place. That's why he was such a great major player. Mm. I mean, he's by far the best of all time. All you got to do is look at the record. Well, I remember you could have a conversation with him, and he would stop in the middle of the sentence, go hit his shot, and come back and pick it up on the next word. Now, that may be in a little extreme, but it was pretty close to that. I mean, he was able to turn it off, turn it on, hit the shot, and come back, yeah. and it was amazing. I was fortunate to be paired with him uh, several times, Doral three or four times, New Orleans where he designed it, Muirfield, which was cool, but the coolest one was at Augusta. And I remember walking up the 18th with him, and I think it was the second or third day. You know, of course, everybody's, all the patrons are cheering for him. And he, I said, go ahead. And he said, nope, walk up beside me. And that was a cool moment because yeah. he didn't have to do that. Uh, and, and and he was just always, and, and Barbara is so sweet. She re- reminds me, uh, Sissy, they have the same kind of personality with people and, and all that. And they just, she just cares. She writes notes. To yeah, I remember when my mother-in-law died, she wrote a note to my father-in-law, uh, and she's just one of those people I think a lot of the tour wives want to be like, and and they're like that. They're just good people, and it's great to see them uh, doing the things they do. with play yellow on all the children's charities they do, but uh, you also got into the golf design business. Uh, what was that like? You know, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I actually. I wanted to design a golf course, and I told Mr. Nicholas I would like to do that. He kind of laughed. And uh, I said, no, I'm serious. And he said, well, you go find a project, and I'll let you use Nicholas Design, and we'll kind of manage it for you. So I said, okay. So I went and found a project. And when I found my first project, I told him, I said, I want to go with you because I knew he traveled around the world in the in the in the winter time and looking at all of his uh, golf courses, um, I knew he did that. And I said, I want to go with you on your trip this winter. And he said, Man, you don't want to do that. That's that's a lot of work. I mean, it's just, I'll take you to a golf course in the U.S. And I said, No, I'm serious. I want to learn. I want to go. And so he said, Okay, you know, be down in Florida on this day. And and we left on his plane and we. We literally traveled around the world in uh, 12 days looking at all of his golf courses that was going on. Uh, we landed in Japan. We were through Asia. We went to Australia, all over, all around. And I learned so much about why you do certain things on the golf course. Mm-hmm. Why is this whole design like this? And, um, you know, I applied that. I ended up... Uh, we, I did my first project, and I ended up doing a couple other projects, and then I did some redos, and uh, then, in, you know, everybody remembers 9-11, you know, and then the market crashed later, and they 
things have changed in the golf industry. There's not a lot of new projects going on. There wasn't then, and the ones that were were the big projects that Mr. Nicholas and, and Fazio and those guys were getting. And, and I kind of just let it go, but I had so much fun doing that. What's up next for you? When are you playing again? Well, we're off this week, um, and then we play San, uh, South Dakota, and then we play Pebble Beach, oh, wow. and then we're off again. So we got we got we got a couple of weeks coming up. What's it been like after COVID, getting uh, out and playing again? What's that been like? Uh, I've been out to a ladies' event, and just uh, what's that whole atmosphere? No fans. That's got to be a little weird, but uh, you're getting to play, which is a blessing. You know, it it is a little weird. Um, it's weird not playing with with fans, but. You know, you get back out, it's like you said before, when we were growing up and traveling, it was the friendships and it was the, it was the times of dragging your kids along and, and Milwaukee Country Club and everything. Well, on the Champions Tour, that's the guys that you did that with, you know, all through your career. Uh, Billy Andre sent me a picture of Whitney and his son Cameron they had to be about three years old, um, and you'll remember in Flint, Michigan, mm-hmm. they used to have that uh, something for the kids all the time, and they did a fashion show. Well, they dressed them up as a bride and groom, <laughs> you know. So the, he sent me that picture. So, so and and I remember playing uh, AJGA at Innisbrook with Billy Andre. So that goes back to forty. 38 years or something like that that I've known Billy. So you, you you know everybody. Everybody's friends. Everybody was so happy to see each other when we finally got back. You know, everybody was texting. It was all... It wasn't... Nobody texted and said, boy, I really miss playing golf. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody was texting. Guys, I really, I really miss going to dinner with you. You know, how's family? You know, everything. So it, it's, it's really good that we're back and we're playing. Um, we're putting, I've heard from a lot of people, I'm so glad y'all are back playing. It gives me something to do. It gives me something to watch. Ultimately, we're entertainers. That's what we do. And we may go play golf, but they put it on TV and it's entertainment for your friends or people to watch people play the game of golf. And that's our job. And it's really good to be back doing that. I've really gotten a lot of messages and couple of letters from people that said golly i'm glad this started because this covid is just wearing me out at least this gives me something to look forward to. yeah i agree I th- and so that really makes you feel yeah. good you know when you go yeah play. and that's a good way to end this i mean it's just it's been like you said it's the friendships you make along the way. i had bob walcott on and we're talking with bob and he was saying you know i asked him what he's most proud of he said just his friendships just the times you have together and yeah. i think we as the human race we miss being together uh, and things are definitely changing, yeah. but uh, you know, as I like to always end our podcast, whether it's life or golf, you only have one shot, and you got to make it count. You sure made that count. It's amazing your story, Poplarville, Mississippi, all over the world, uh, and still playing golf and loving what you're doing. And we appreciate you being on the podcast. And uh, good luck to you the rest of the season. And uh, just go go get you a win. You're due one. Well, I'm gonna try. And Jimmy, it's good talking to you and catching up. Uh, I miss y'all. I- spoke with sissy earlier you know uh we we've our our families are forever intertwined and, and for that i'm appreciative well that's exactly that's what life's about if you can't enjoy your families and your friends then it's not worth uh, being there but thanks for your time and uh knock them dead 
Thank you very much.